Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Cabin Devils. My name is David, and once again, we are joined by Pastor Kevin Holman, a very good friend of Cabin Devils. Uh, he made it a point to show up at least every month, and for that, we are very, very grateful. Thank you so much, Pastor Kevin, for joining us. Pastor Kevin, it feels like you're right here in our sitting room um, having Cabin Devils devotions with us before we go to bed and before you continue with the rest of your day. Tonight, we have a very difficult topic, Pastor Kevin. Um, the more I read about it, the more I did not want to be in your shoes because it's uh, a very, very difficult is the, is the right word to use, um, I think, in these circumstances. Uh, because to try and address injustice, to try and address unfairness is, is difficult because I think it was Tim Keller, I don't know where he borrowed the words from, but he said one man's freedom fighter is another, is another man's uh, terrorist. And it's, it's interesting what's going on right now with Israel and, uh, and the war in the Middle East. It's, it's just difficult to to comprehend. And I've never met a country that does not have some sort of uh, unfair, and that's in quotes, unfair political system. It doesn't matter whether you are American or African or Ugandan or Rwandese or Kenyan. Every time you come to the election time, the world just goes haywire. And I think this is in every every country. And it's it's that, that, that's just one angle. But when you think about even just the corporate world, you are not far from injustice. You're not far from unfairness because the whole system, I was going to use the word, the whole system is rigged. But the whole system is just full of who is greater than who and positions and who reports to who, whose subordinate is who. Even amongst the disciples, you realize that they were asking those questions. Um, uh, to Christ, may I sit? One 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 disciple's mother was asking, may, "May my son sit on your left and the other on your right?" And I, I love Christ's answer in that in that scenario. He said, "You do not know what you're asking." And tonight, um, the more I, I read, not that I've read so much, but the more I thought about this, is the more I realized that we have a very skewed mind of what the definition of injustice or unfairness is. And tonight, I hope that you will be blessed. I hope that you will uh, get a chance to at least digest these things. And uh, when anything unfair, if you find yourself in an unfair situation or circumstance, you will know. You will know how how to work. And that's really the goal of tonight. Um, I'm going to start from the definition, Pastor Kevin. And maybe okay. a chance for you to greet uh, uh, the listeners. But just by laying the foundation, I know I started on the really high note uh, today because I don't think we're going to have enough time to digest this whole topic. But the definition of injustice, really, what would you say injustice is? Pastor Kevin, have you ever experienced injustice? I, I ask that question because um, the word unfair Injustice, bias has been used sometimes in scenarios that may not hold so much water. Uh, I'll give an example. If they, let's say you're playing a game, the referee or the umpire makes a call that is not favoring your team, usually the first thing we shout out is that that's unfair. And I mean, to the other team, it's fair, but to you, it's unfair. You can almost say that it's very, very subjective, but what would you say, Pastor Kevin? How would you define injustice? Well, I, I by the way, I, yes, uh, glad to greet everybody again there uh, that's listening to us in Uganda, and it is always a blessing to be here with you. 
Uh, you are my favorite Ugandan person, David. So I always enjoy the chance to uh, get a chance Ugandan to chat with you. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, aside from that, uh, you know, I think injustice. Um, I think from a human standpoint, you know, it's the feeling that we have been wronged in some way. And, you know, the reality is that sometimes that is objectively true. Uh, someone did something to us and they victimized us. They, they, uh, they used us in a wrong way. They took advantage of us when we were trying to offer help. And so we could say uh, we have, uh, we've, that, that was an injustice. Uh, I, so that's certainly the case. I think, though, that a lot of times uh, we have a sense of injustice because we feel like something that we were wanting to work out a certain way was changed or it unexpectedly uh, was, was uh, taken a different direction by somebody that wanted it the way they want, they, they preferred. And so then people say, you know, that's not fair. And, and I think we use it kind of, you know, loosely sometimes like that. But certainly there are, there are people, and I think we, we see when we look around us, there are people who are suffering, quote, unfair situations that when we look at them, they're really quite minimal. Uh, you know, with my children when they were growing up, it, it could be unfair when one of them got uh, two extra minutes of playtime at a game that the other one did not, or that, you know, something that's very minor. But but on the other hand, we also all know situations where uh, we're trying to uh, help in a, uh, a marriage situ- situation, for instance, counseling, and, and one person is really uh, taking advantage of or treating the other unfairly, we say, well, that's a, that's a much more serious issue. Uh, I, so so we, we see both of that. I'm glad that from God's perspective, he alone is the one that knows absolutely uh, what is, quote, fair or not. But, but I think, and I'll back up and push back away from the whole thing just a little bit further, from, from God's perspective, I think that there are a lot of us running around just talking about how this is unfair, that's unfair, that's unfair, this was an injustice, that wasn't right the way someone did me, and we're, we, we are neglecting the bigger picture of how we have treated the Lord and all the things we have done in our lives against Him. And, and so uh, I think you got to bring that into the perspective from God's sovereignty, you know, of how He sees things. Um, he's the one who really knows what's <laughs> where the injustice lies. And, and I think it's good for us to remember that. Would you therefore say that, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, just before the words came out of my mouth, I think I got an answer, but I will ask the question <laughs> anyway. Would you therefore say that there's no one that is just uh, in reference to human beings or no one understands justice? Well, I think I would say it like this. Of course, the only one who is perfectly just is the Lord God. No, there is no other. Mm. Uh, and, and all that he does is absolutely correct. In uh, When Abraham was setting out to bargain with God in Genesis 18 to try to rescue Lot from the destruction of Sodom, you know, Abraham had this foundational, uh, just... A, a gut understanding of God. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Abraham knew that God would always do what's right. It was unthinkable for God to ever do wrong. And because of that, Abraham stepped out and began this bargaining process, which really God set the whole scenario up for his growth, I'm convinced. But, you know, Abraham, who was a friend of God, he knew that God always did the right thing. Of course, we're told that 
you know, it, by Jesus when he speaks about our Heavenly Father. Uh, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We're told that uh, by John and by James in their letters about God who's, uh, who's uh, light and him there's no darkness at all. And so, you know, ultimately we know, yes, he's the one that knows, only one that knows perfectly. But I do believe that the closer that we get to God as believers and the more we draw close and we, we dwell in his word and we think his thoughts and we see things the way that he describes them in his word, I think that we get a much truer picture ourselves. Although it's always flawed because, by, it's flawed by this because we're selfish and because we're self-centered. And because there's that part of us that just wants things our way and tends to see it from a skewed perspective, a, a very subjective perspective, you know, uh, perspective. So if you and I are eating, uh, I don't know if you eat pizza in Uganda. Do you eat pizza there, David? <laughs> I wish we were doing a, I wish we were doing a video and uh, I would have turned on the camera and give us shown you a pizza box. But yes, we do. Ah, uh, I see. Okay, well there you go. So 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 if you and I are, are are sharing a pepperoni pizza and we get down to that very last piece and I'm hungry and you're hungry, whichever one of us takes it, the other feels he wronged by the other one. <laughs> so sometimes it can be that subjective, you know. And true. And and, mm. and so when we talk about you know, this subject of flourishing in unfair circumstances. Mm. I, I am the first to say our sense of unfairness can be very subjective and we might have a very immature view and, and thus be really thinking, you know, more selfishly than we should, or we might be closer to God and we might have a very, uh, a, a very sharpened view and, and, and a godly view of injustice. But whatever it is, I know this, every single believer is going to be faced with situations that are that are unfair quote unquote that that show injustice to him that will happen in this world because we can't we can't avoid that in a broken world that's full of sinners we're going to sometimes be treated unfairly and sometimes we're going to be in situations that are unfair and sometimes life will simply put us in unfair situations uh, whether by by happenstance, by accident, by foolish decisions that we make, sometimes by foolish decisions that other people make that we end up having the implications fall in our lap. So it's a, it's something that we can't avoid uh, dealing with. We, we all are going to have to figure it out. You know, one of the things I'm really looking forward to uh, tonight, I don't know how we're going to do it, Pastor um, Kevin, but I was hoping that in one way or another we would bring in the law. And I, by this, I don't mean the scriptural law. I mean the, 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 the political, the country, the law that governs uh, human beings. Because when you think of justice and injustice, usually we think of it in, in those terms, the human law, the, the, the legislature uh, in that sense. When, when you're giving the example of the pizza, there is maybe a more relevant example is just imagine a platter of roasted meat. Uh, in Uganda here, is, it's very, very popular uh, to sit around one big plate and, and share a meal like that. It's prepared in very special places. Um, but there are some rules that govern that kind of eating. <laughs> and it's said that the person who contributes the most to the money that bought the, uh, the meat or the platter, when they get a phone call, everyone stops eating and uh, <laughs> wait for him to return. And the last piece is always his. 
And okay. in a way, it's, it's, I mean, it's an unsaid rule. It's an unsaid law uh, that governs behavior when you imagine uh, four or five men hungry and they're all staring at a platter of meat. And the example you gave uh, of pizza is the last person who takes the piece may feel or sound or appear unfair. But when they're low, when there's the law, I think it helps to put most of that uh, in place. And I think... Even when you hear of the an eye for an eye in, in, in the scriptures, when 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 life is given, when life is taken, life has to be paid. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. I think, I don't know if that is an attempt for God to try and restore justice to a broken and fallen world. And of course, in the end, we see Christ himself. Uh, dying for the unjust, the just for the unjust, because we could not fulfill uh, the law. I hope that we'll get a chance to at least talk a little bit on 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 uh, on the law, both uh, the governing law, but also the law of God that we cannot fulfill, but also how Christ came uh, to be the perfect picture of what God is doing in restoring uh, this broken world. But tonight, let me remind you once again, ladies and gentlemen, that. <laughs> And this happens every Sunday. I would like you to go ahead and let your friends know that we are live on Cabin Devils and joined by Pastor Kevin all the way from uh, Florida. Before we can listen to Pastor Kevin exclusively, I'd like to read for us Psalm chapter 10, Psalm 10. And if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them as we read this uh, passage together. Psalm 10, and I want to start from uh, verse 1. I'm going to read through the whole passage. It's not our main passage today, but I thought it would address some of the things that we are going to look at. Um, Psalm 10, from verse 1, it says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, in quote, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. For all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in anguish, sorry, he sits in ambush uh, in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes still watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lacks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall 
by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you, not mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. From, from from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This psalm is encouraging. It is very, very encouraging. When you, when you think about um, what the psalmist is saying and who God is, he is a just God. But uh, Pastor, Pastor Kevin, I think um, as, we, as we get started, one of the first things we may have to look at, um, one is the relevance of what we are looking at today. What does it mean today for injustice? What does it mean to call a situation unfair? Are they real? I was thinking of some scenarios like a lost job uh, where it's not your fault, but you've been uh, laid off or fired unfairly. Uh, when you think about little pay for the amount of work one is doing, you seem to be working more than your supervisor, but your supervisor earns more. Your boss seems to earn more, and that, in a way, feels unfair. And I've seen several memes uh, on social media that seem to imply that, um, yeah, bosses take advantage of subordinates, and yet they profit from it all, from the business, they seem to take the biggest chunk. Executives definitely take the biggest chunk when you think of any company. Um, and that, in one way or another, seems unfair. But when you think about all of that, Pastor Kevin, um, the question that we have to answer is, why would a God who is just allow something like that to happen? I don't know there's books that have been written in answering that question. But Pastor Kevin, as we get started, I hope that we can start there and then I'll have a few questions uh, for you. Okay, sure thing. So my, my, my very brief answer to why these things happen is Genesis chapter 3. Because mm -hmm. we live in a world that is broken by our rebellion against God, going back to our parents in the Garden of Eden, when they, when they said no to God's, to God's <laughs> commandments and, and said, uh, no, we will go our own way. We don't need to obey you. We want to be like God ourselves. Uh, that sin, which of course not only plunged them into turmoil, but plunged all of their their children, all all of us into that as well, and also plunged all of creation into that, so that now creation is under the curse that's talked about in Genesis chapter three. So, since we are in a broken world uh, and we ourselves are broken, it is guaranteed there are going to be these times of of uh, of injustice. And so like in, in Psalm 10, what you read, which is an excellent psalm, what I love about the psalms is how they, they describe the way that life really is. And it's not perfect. It's not flowery. It's not, it's not like everything is ideal and wonderful and we're just skipping from mountaintop to mountaintop on a spiritual high. No, David, when he writes these psalms he, and the other psalmists, they're struggling in the trenches. They're, they're looking around them 
and they're seeing very real wicked things done by wicked people that are impacting their lives. But what I love is they always step back to the eternal perspective, and they still make that statement, uh, but the Lord is king forever and ever. And this this statement that uh, these things are going on, but one day God will put it all right. It's he, he is going to bring his justice to the world. It's like Psalm 73, when Asaph uh, writes in that psalm, this is where he talks about uh, how he uh, looked at the uh, at the arrogant, and he was envious of the arrogant. He saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death. Their body is not, their their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. And he confesses that he goes on as he goes on in that psalm, that he almost had had uh, lost hope, and he almost had envied. He was envying the wicked, but then. He stepped into the sanctuary of God, the house of God, and that's where he saw the real condition of, of, of everything from God's perspective. And then he saw that the wicked are set in a very precarious place and ready to fall into judgment, and they're just a step from God uh, dealing out full retribution to them. So I, I think that, to me, it's, 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 a, it's, a real, uh, it's a real blessing, a real relief to know that uh, even though there will be wrong things done and there are evil people who do evil things in this world because we're, we're, we are broken away from God by our sin, yet to know that one day the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come and he will rule with a rod of iron and he will set things right. And uh, that's great comfort for me. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Kevin. I... Of course, we have to have hope um, in God uh, when you think about what he's promised in his word. Um, and I know several books try to address this when you think about Jonah, when they think about Job, and uh, his friends, when they said, you must have sinned. And today we made a promise uh, with our poster, uh, Pastor Kevin, that we would help the listeners uh, find out how to flourish in unfair circumstances. What would you say is the beginning point? And of course, knowing that, yeah, we live in a fallen world. How would we start to flourish in, in unfair circumstances? Uh, Pastor Kevin. Okay, well, that, that's a great question. And let me say that for me, this topic became very relevant when I was preaching through the book of Titus in the New Testament. And in chapter two of Titus, uh, he is addressing different groups that he has specific instruction for them, such as uh, older men and younger men, older women and younger women, how they're to be, you know, dignified and the older women teaching the younger women. And, and so all of these different instructions for different uh, age groups. And then in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, suddenly he's talking not about, uh, not about the, uh, the, the, the group that's chronological by age, but rather he, we find that he's talking about a, a social economic group, those who are slaves. And, and he says this uh, in verses 9 and 10, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. And what struck me so strongly about those two verses was 
uh, here you have these people that are in the most unfair of circumstances humanly in the Roman Empire, which, uh, you know, the, the life that the New Testament was written in, in that, uh, in that time period, people who were slaves did not have rights as, as humans. Uh, they were all considered as property in the Roman Empire. And there were quite a number of them, uh, up to 20%, some think in Rome, perhaps even 30% in New Testament times, but others, others say 10 or 20%. But, but slaves were a reality in their economy, and uh, they were a reality in, in their culture that whether by conquest or whether by purchase or whether by being born from a slave, uh, so if your mother was a slave, uh, even if your father was free, you were born as a slave. And so these people were born into this situation or captured in warfare or purchased when they were in debt. And now they found themselves with no human rights and they, uh, they, they were apt to be mistreated terribly in the Roman Empire. And yet God's instruction to them in those two verses was so profound for me that I actually took a, a whole sermon and, and preached just on those two verses because of the parallel. We're, we're, not, we're not Roman slaves in our day-to-day, but yet we still find ourselves in very unfair or very, very uh, undesirable situations at time. And we say, what do I do in this situation? How do I handle this? And I think, so a few things I'll say here and just jump in when you want to, uh, but one thing is that in the midst of what Paul says to the slaves in Titus uh, 2, verses 9 and 10, ultimately he's giving them commands to live godly lives as slaves so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. God wants these slaves to live in such a way that they will be a useful tool for him to adorn the doctrine of God. And when you ask, who is he adorning the doctrine of God? Why would, who, who would be watching the life of a slave that would see the reality of the teachings about God? That word adorn means that which is visible when the world looks at it. And uh, the answer is uh, perhaps even the master, the household, the, 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 the civilization around them, the city, the village around them, but, but perhaps even the master, God would use that, use that slave who lives a godly life to impact the master, adorn the doctrine of God, and draw the master towards the Lord. Because it turns out God wants to ultimately completely revolutionize slavery in the New Testament time. You read the passages about that, you see like in the book of Philemon, God wants slavery to be more like a family household where everyone, even the master, is looking out for the slaves and the slaves are serving the master. And it becomes a, a, a sustaining household where there's not inequity or injustice, but rather you're supposed to see one another as brothers in Christ. Paul lays that out to Philemon with the runaway slave Onesimus. And, and so same thing there. God wants to, re, God wants to use these unfair situations to his glory so that we will be used to impact other lives around us. So I think one of the things I, I would say, when, when I'm faced with an unfair situation, rather than starting out by being upset or angry and saying, how could they do this? I really need to step back and smile to myself and say, what is the Lord doing here? 
how is God wanting to use me in this situation? Because there's nothing more powerful than someone who, when they are being wronged, yet comes back with a loving attitude and, uh, and, and with, a, with an obedient and a humble heart. And uh, if, if you look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, you, th- you find that Peter talks about that very thing uh, when he's exhorting there. Uh, this is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. He says servants. And, and again, that word could also uh, just as well, uh, rather than servants, uh, well, th- this, is, this is like a household servant in this instance. This is not the regular word for slave in the Greek, but servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now stop there. It's easy to be, it's easy to be submissive to a master who is good and gentle. It's like it's easy to do a good job and work hard for a nice boss. But if you have a, a, a boss who's unreasonable, if you have someone that is, is uh, self-serving and he never compliments you and he he gives you extra work when it's not when it's not fair and then he takes the credit well in that situation I think that we would humanly feel like you know welling up and saying wait wait I'm gonna fight for my rights this is and or maybe we would just turn to all of our friends and gossip and talk about how bad they are or maybe we would even find a way to get back at our boss maybe sabotage his his career, or maybe steal something from uh, the petty cash fund in his business if he's the owner of the business, and feel like, well, we're justified in doing that because we're being mistreated. But listen to what Peter says as he goes on in 1 Peter 2 and verse 19. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you, are in, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So if I'm, if I'm sinning, if I'm committing a crime, if I'm wronging someone, and then I get punished for it, he says, what credit is that? But if you're doing the right thing, and then you suffer and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And just to go a little further, he then completes the chapter by saying, if that sounds like it's hard to swallow, and humanly it might, look at Jesus. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And then he goes on for the rest of the chapter, talking about how Jesus bore our sins uh, on his body when he he should not have had to do that, but he did it for us so that we would be rescued. And, you know, he paints that picture that just like Jesus was unjustly treated and yet submitted to it for the glory of and of God and for the plan of God for our salvation. So we need to have that same kind of heart, that same kind of attitude. So let me, yeah, so I've got, a, I've got a, a handful of ideas then on what we need to do, practically speaking, to, to help us, you know, have the, have the right response in these situations. But just, I'll just pause here. Does this sound reasonable to you or, or, or unreasonable or sanctified? Or? It, it does. It does sound reasonable if you, if you ask. Um, 
I, I don't think the listeners tonight fully understand um, the term. And by listeners, I actually mean me. The term slave. Um, and I know we've said it so many times. We've had the scriptures talk about it so many times. When you hear Paul in Titus talk about bond servants being submissive to their own masters in everything, I don't think, um, and I know somewhere else you've mentioned, you've quoted, not only in fair circumstances, even in unfair circumstances, but I've had people who have likened slavery in the Bible, in the scriptures to employer-employee relationship, but I choose to disagree. I think it was more gruesome uh, than that because today if a corporation fires you, they don't come after your children. <laughs> they, don't, they don't come after your wife and say, all right, all of you are going to... It, it's not like that. I think they don't come after your property um, in, in that sense. Okay, they, they have systems that might or might come after your property if you're in debt or something, but... I think it's it's worse when you think about slavery. I think there were people who were almost treated like property when you begin to buy and sell. They were they were exactly treated like property. They were exactly yeah. treated like property. Yeah, it, it was not in again in the Roman Empire, which that mm. is the that is the the culture in which the New Testament was written. Now God was transforming that, and I always want to say that when people say, "Oh." God was okay with slavery there in the New Testament. I say, no, absolutely not. God was transforming it into a household of family is what God is doing. But in the culture that they're living in, and and what if you had a Christian who uh, he was a slave for an unsaved master? That is giving direction to him that you're going to be in this unfair circumstance and you need to do it for the glory of God, and that's the that's the big problem. But yeah, as to the question of were, were they just like employees and bosses, I've heard that said before too. And all you have to do is is do some research, read some of the firsthand accounts uh, from people writing in the first century, and we have a wealth of that kind of information of uh, in the in the Roman Empire how uh, wealthy people owned so many slaves and would have them travel around with them. It was a matter of of, of clout or, or uh, a matter of prestige to have. Uh, they, they wanted to always have a dozen or 15 around them. But there's one example of a, a Roman prefect of the first century uh, that was appointed by Nero, and his name was Lucius Pedanius Secundus, and he had 400 slaves for his private household. And see, he was very wealthy, and this was a great mark of, of, his, uh, of his prestige. Well, one of those slaves ended up killing him, but they didn't know which slave it was that had killed him. And so the Roman Senate met, and they actually decided that all 400 of the slaves should be put to death so that they would be sure to kill the, the, the guilty party. And interestingly, there was a public outcry, but Nero, the emperor, who we know was very godless, Nero made sure that all 400 got executed for the crime. Uh, and... Uh, so despite the public outcry, it comes down to this. They were his property, and and if they want to get rid of him like that, they can. So it's, a, it's an atrocious situation that people were in, but even in a terrible situation, you still can live in a, in a terrible situation to the glory of God if we are seeking the Lord and if we're obeying him and following his, his design he can actually use us to transform that situation 
so that you know God can use the the uh, the downtrodden and the afflicted to actually be a tool to reach the others for the gospel of Christ. You know, to, it's 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 a it's a great thing that God does when He uh, uses believers for that purpose. So. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 tough. It's a tough situation to think about, but it was a it was certainly a desperate time for people. I'm trying to find the connection, Pastor Kevin. Why then would God use a term like that to refer to us and Him? And uh, Paul, through the Scriptures, would say we are born servants, slaves of Christ. Yes, uh, yes. And, uh, and I know a... that. Yes, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I, I know it is a very heavy term. Now, the term could also be used for servants, uh, you know, that English term we tend to use of like somebody who, who uh, works, although there were, there, were, there were other slaves for like household manager or that kind of thing, or I mean, other terms for that. But the word for, the word for slave uh, certainly uh, to Roman ears went much more into that uh, uh, somebody that did not have rights to decide who they married, whether they married, where they lived could not get educated, could not decide what they wanted to do for a living. All of that was determined by the master. And uh, so you think about that, and I know it's earth-shattering in a sense, but is that not God's claim to our lives? Not that he abuses that, but just when you think about the radical devotion and the radical sense of ownership, you know, when he says to, to us in uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. Uh, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Uh, the, the the sense of, you know, I don't even belong to me. And I, and I hit that again today uh, when I was uh, preaching in, in a sermon that I was, uh, and I was referencing something in, in Romans 14, and it said the same thing in, in Romans 14, that, you know, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord, and whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So we belong to him. And if I belong to the Lord, then everything I own belongs to the Lord too. I mean, if I belong to the Lord, I can't keep property aside from him or money aside from him. My family belongs to the Lord. So it's that same sense of radical devotion. The thing is, God is not an abusive slave owner God is a generous, kingly, majestic slave owner, if you would, who who mm. is seeking the good of and dying to rescue his people. He is the most he is the most benevolent uh, that we could ever have. Who who owns all things in the universe, including us. So mm. I I don't find the solution in the tension by trying to break off the sense of ownership and say no, God doesn't own me. I'm my own person. No, not not at all. I can't control the next heartbeat. I can't take the next breath without him. So he does own me, but he's not a he's not a a, a wicked owner. He's a benevolent, selfless, loving owner that that rescued us in the plan of salvation. But still that term that when Paul says I'm a slave of Christ, what Paul is saying uh and and he he restates it again in in various places that his life is no longer about him but it's about Christ. Listen to what he says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So 
when Paul considered his life, he would he wasn't he wasn't looking at it like what does Paul want to do and what are Paul's plans and what does Paul want to accumulate and where does Paul want to spend his retirement? Paul said, "I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live; Christ lives in me." And that kind of radical devotion, it, it sounds frightening if you don't understand the, the character of God, but if we do understand our Heavenly Father, it's actually very exhilarating to know that this God that I am completely able to abandon myself, I'm called to abandon myself to his ownership, the reality is he owns me anyway, whether I think he does or not, that God is going to take and use my life not only to his glory, but also to my good. So that in the end, it really is going to be okay. It's going to be, it's going to be great. And this is just, you know, it's a mindset that, that we're called to. And Paul was very, Paul was very good at it. (laughs) We'll just say Mm -hmm. so. Amen. Um, That, that was a very beautiful picture, Pastor Kevin, especially when you came to first Corinthians uh, six, uh, I opened it up in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And verse 20, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I don't, I, I don't want to push the analogy too far uh, beyond its meaning. But when you think about the price of a slave, you would think of amounts of money. Uh, But in this case, the price for us that was paid was the life of Christ himself. And the call is therefore to glorify God with our bodies because one, we were bought at a price and the price is actually the son of God himself. And yet, the more you look at the scriptures, you realize we did not deserve even that kind of redemption. and, and therefore, we are saved by grace. It's it's uh, it's not anyone's work. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. I'm reminded of Tim Keller's words when he said, if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he is, grace, is grateful for God's grace. But in his heart, he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced. And at worst, he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. Grace should make you just. Pastor Kevin, I'd like us to right now jump into the practical uh, bit of how can we flourish? Um, and uh, we are of simple minds, okay? So just, just simply say okay, point number let, one. Let, let, me give you, let, me give you, let me give you five points. Point number one. Thank you. In whatever situation you're in, do not mm. grumble or complain. Do not grumble mm. or complain. The reason I say that, and I can say it with certainty, is this is what we are clearly called to. In, in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 14, 15, 16, Paul says this very thing, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Paul, Paul, who himself, remember the book of Philippians, he was writing it from prison where he was unfairly put in jail because of preaching the gospel. Here he is trying to just get people saved. He's put in jail. 
He writes the letter while he doesn't even know if he's going to be released or executed. And he is telling his readers, do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining. Uh, could also translate there so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. So I think it's so important. If, if I'm in an unfair situation and I just start complaining all the time, we've all had coworkers like that uh, in, uh, in various jobs. And you know how that can poison everyone else around you so that soon everyone takes on a negative attitude towards the boss, the company, um, and, and it just brings a lot of dissension. And what we got to remember is that when I grumble or complain, I'm really saying to the people around me, my God is not big enough to straighten this out. My God is not big enough to take care of me. My God is not big enough to give me recompense for this unfair situation, even if it's in eternity. So I'm going to just sit here and grumble and complain. So number one, if you're in that situation, do not grumble or complain. Number two, and I find this being very frequent, do not get angry at God. Do not get angry at God. You mentioned Jonah earlier, David, and let me just say, it's interesting when you get to the book of Jonah, to the, to the last chapter, Jonah is angry at God because God did not destroy the people of Nineveh. And Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh, who were the enemies of, of, of the Israelites, he wanted those people destroyed, and God did not destroy them. So Jonah went and sat outside the city, hoping that God would destroy them. And it says this in Jonah chapter 4, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better for me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? And, uh, and that's a great question. Do you, God asked, Do you have good reason to be angry? And Jonah thought he did, but God makes it very clear as you go on reading the chapter. Jonah had no cause to be angry. These people were not created by him. They were created by God. God wanted to bring redemption to them. He wanted them to be saved. And Jonah was acting like a spoiled child. And yet Jonah was angry at God. Many times I've seen people in difficult situations, and they are difficult sometimes. They really are. But when we're in a difficult situation... If I'm angry at God, I'm, I'm angry at the very one who dwells on the throne of the universe, the one that Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. If you want to be angry at that God who rules on the throne of the universe, Good luck with that. You're not going to get very far because he is the one that's going to win. And it's much better to see this, that my God is doing something in my life to his glory and even to my benefit. We all know Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. So I need to keep that, I need to keep that perspective where I am, uh, you know, realizing that God is going to use this difficult situation. It's it's even come for my good. It, you know, James chapter 1, uh, rejoice when you encounter various trials. Uh, Romans chapter 5, same thing, that, that these trials are working to bring about spiritual growth in us. Um, and so I need to never get angry at God. I know that people do get angry at God, uh, and I've heard teachers say, go ahead and get angry at God. He's big enough. He can take it. 
And I don't doubt that God can, quote, take it because, you know, our getting angry is not going to knock him off the throne. But I, I challenge people this. I say, look in your Bible and find one situation where somebody got angry at God, where they are said to be right for doing it. And you can't find it because when people get angry at God, what they're really saying is, God, you did something wrong to me. You did something you're not allowed to do. And God never does that. He does, you know, he, ne- he never says that he will never, he never says that we're going to have perfect, peaceful lives. In fact, he says we're going to have tribulation. So we need to, don't get angry at God. Number three, reaffirm God's love for you and his care for you in scripture. Reaffirm God's love and care for you in scripture. I, I tell people this, don't wait until you're in the middle of turmoil in an unfair situation and in a painful circumstance to try to figure out whether God loves you or not. That's the wrong time to try to figure that out. What we need to do is when things are in the, 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 the good moment where we have peace and we're able to think rationally, that's when we ought to be looking at, at passages like 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. So I I look at that, and and it tells me, God loves me. Again, I look at Romans 8, and not only does verse 28 tell me that God is working for his purpose, but when I go on and I I read further uh, in in verses 31 and 32, I, I see that God is actually at work to conform me to the image of his son. And so he loves me so much, he's making me like Christ. Uh, I look at passages uh, where, uh, like in 1 Peter and, and in chapter 5, uh, he, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And I tell people as a pastor, right now when times are good, before you get into that unfair situation, be looking at Scripture, be meditating, be memorizing Scripture about the love of God for you, that, you know, we, we cannot comprehend the height or depth or width, uh, uh, the breadth of the love of God for us as his children. And know that before you head into that painful situation, because we need to, we need to be able to fall back to God's word at that time. Number four, don't ask, how can I ever be happy? Instead, ask, how can I glorify God? I can't tell you how many times throughout the years I've been pastoring now for 37 years about, and how many times I've had people who've sat across the desk from me and say, in this situation that I'm in, for instance, in this marriage that I'm I'm in, how can I ever be happy in this marriage that I'm in? And I don't deny that they might be in a, in a, in a marriage that is difficult uh, and that the dynamics are not the way they should be. But the question is not, how can I ever be happy? Because God never promises us that the end goal of life is to make us happy. Rather, we need to be asking the question, how can I glorify God in the middle of the situation? Because if I am in a situation that's tough, in a difficult relationship, a difficult marriage, I need to be saying, how can I glorify God in the middle of this so that I am not um, 
so that I'm so I'm not just self-absorbed with with myself, but rather I'm thinking, you know, looking at it the way that God uh, wants. You know, I, I remind people look look in Second Corinthians twelve when Paul is talking about that thorn in the flesh that he had, and whatever that was, it was certainly something that was a messenger of Satan. He says something that that the devil brought into his life, and uh, it, it caused him a lot of grief, and and so. He said that he had three different times implored the Lord to take it away from his life, but God did not take it. Instead, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, he says, that's why he was given this thorn in the flesh. And then he goes on and he says in verses 9 and 10, God had said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. And that's just a reality of life that we've got to lay hold of as believers. If, if I'm going around always trying to just be happy, be happy, be happy, you know, the only thing that matters in life is for me to be happy then I'm going to be a very useless person to the Lord. And I'm going to be very discouraged because you're going to find out in a sinful world full of sinners, it's hard to be happy. Even the most wealthy people in the world with all kinds of money are so often desperately lonely and unhappy. But if I ask, how can I glorify God? Like Paul, Paul, how can you glorify God with that thorn in the flesh? God says, Paul, I want this here for my glory. Because when you're weak, that's when people can see my strength. So I need to embrace the situation and say, how can I glorify God? And then I've got one last one. Number five, remember your final destination. We're not home yet. And for some reason, when we're in an unfair situation, we act like it's going to go on forever. And we wonder, why is it that, that I'm here and going through this? It'll never change. Why, does, why is God allowing this? And the reason why God is allowing this in our lives, remember we're in a broken world full of broken people in rebellion to God. The reason why some of these things exist is because we're not home yet. And when we get home, everything's going to be good. And home is talked about in Revelation 21. And it says there that uh, I heard a loud voice from the throne, verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any uh, mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And I've always got to remember my final destination. I'm not there yet. So why do I have to put up with unfair circumstances and injustices in this life? Because there's something bigger going on that's eternal. And I can put up with an injustice for 20 or 40 or 60 years if I know I have an eternity with Christ coming where everything is going to be right and there will be everything perfect and no longer any curse. Revelation 22, no, no longer any curse, so there is no sin. That's where we're heading. And until then, we're just not home yet. Thank you so much, um... Pastor Kevin, five things 
for us. Do not grumble or complain. Do not get angry at God. Reaffirm God's love and care for you in the scriptures. Number four, do not ask, how can I ever be happy? Instead, ask, how can I glorify God? And then remember your final destination. And the statement that you put here that you just mentioned is we are not home yet. We are not home yet. It's been a beautiful evening tonight. And my fears are coming to pass that we've not had enough time to completely digest this and give all the answers to all the questions that you may have. Pastor Kevin, allow me to ask just one question. And uh, just this is just with the first point that you mentioned when you say do not grumble or complain. I, this does not mean that we must, uh, for the lack of a better word, we must shut up in the sense that we cannot speak against injustice. A lot of the time, people have mistaken speaking up uh, for rebellion. And uh, I don't think this is what it means. I think we can be able to speak up when there's unfair circumstances or situations and yet remain um, in, in God's will, if I must say. Um, how does that look like? What would your advice be? You're in a workplace where things don't seem to be going right and maybe um, the company rules don't seem to give you the freedom to be able to express uh, what you may call injustice. And yet there is also your job is at stake that if you speak too loud, <laughs> you may lose your job. How do you face unfair circumstances without necessarily complaining, but also not keeping quiet? We, we serve a just God who desires that justice uh, should happen. And sometimes we, he's given us ways in which we can see that come to pass. But how would you say this needs to be approached? That's the only question I'll ask as we come to the end of our time. Yeah. If you have an answer. Or else, or else okay. you can say, yeah, let's tune in next month. You'll cover this. Oh. For the whole hour. <laughs> well, well, let me say quickly, it's a good question because, um, you know, grumbling and complaining is where we are upset because someone is stepping on our foot. They're inconveniencing us. They're doing something that, that we are, we feel wronged by. But when we see injustice for the sake of someone else, uh, then that's where we do have an opportunity to speak up. And we should do that respectfully. We should do it within the, the proper constraints with a good attitude and speak truth, because that's what we're called to do as the church. If we are, one of the things we're called to is to be the, 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 the household of God, the pillar and support of the truth. So to speak truth and do it in a, in a way that is to the glory of God uh, we certainly can do. I should also have said earlier, you know, when I, when I talk about, you know, that we should, we, we submit to unfair circumstances, the one thing we don't ever submit to is like the apostles in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. You know, they've been, they've been, uh, they, they've been ordered to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Christ. And, and their answer to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, is whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge for we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And so there's a time when if, if the people that are above us are trying to direct us to do something against God, then we have to stop and take a stand for God and say, it doesn't matter what you do to me, you need to hear and I'm going to stand on God's truth. And uh, so I think that's a very important principle too. Uh, and it is, there's a lot more we could talk about this because it is, this is a tough thing for people. It's a tough thing for every one of us, uh, whether we're talking about from a society, a country, a nation, or a, a, our job, 
or all the way down to our family or maybe our most intimate friend that does something that, that we feel really was a personal wrong. We have opportunity many times to experience this. And uh, I, I think that we need to be careful. Uh, keep God's, keep uh, the, the boundaries that God has for us of what we're to be doing and saying and, and be spokesman for his righteousness. But realize we are going to have to suffer hurts and injustices personally and, uh, and, and do that for the glory of God. It's a very, very tough topic and yet very, very beneficial. And uh, I believe that you guys have been blessed. I thank you so much, Pastor Kevin, for taking time to just bring this to us um, this evening for us as we, as we go to bed, as we think about uh, next week, uh, starting work. Uh, some of us are dreading <laughs> going back to work. Uh, others can't wait. And uh, again, I pray that you've been energized uh, to at least have the right attitude, right, have the right answers in circumstances that may seem unfair. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your friendship and relationships that you have. It could be in your school for the students who might be listening in. They gave you grades that you don't think you deserve. Um, and so in all these circumstances, let's remember not to grumble or complain, not to be angry at God, just like Jonah was, uh, but reaffirm God's love and care uh, for us. And uh, not to ask, how can we be happy, but how can we glorify God in all circumstances? Rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. But also let's remember that the life we live right now is temporal and we do have a final destination. This is not home. I'm going to ask you guys to have a good night. Not that I'm seeking your permission to have a good night, but I'm going to ask you to have a good night and I hope to see you again on Sunday at 9 p.m. East African time. Before you go to bed, you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils. Cabin Devils. Your number one life.